Well, I think it's uh, kind of unusual and appropriate that uh, we don't have a screen to look at uh, this Sunday morning because it's another opportunity for us today to think about missions and what God is doing in our world. I have the a distinct pleasure and privilege to introduce our guest speaker for today. His name is Pastor Mark Bocanegra. Uh, he's here with us today, and he's been here since summer, and he said he'll be here until the end of this year. Uh, he's here with his family, and they are currently serving uh, in Kaihin uh, Makuhari, a neighborhood uh, in the area of Tokyo, the capital region. Pastor Mark serves both as the team leader of the uh, Mission to the World Makuhari team and also the pastor of Kaihin uh, Makuhari Grace Church. Uh, KMGC, as it stands for the name, is the only church serving this neighborhood projected to grow to about this region of about 30,000, 35,000 people in an area that's only one-third of a square mile. Uh, here at Christ Central, uh, we've been supporting the Borca Negras, uh, and, this is, uh, and this is their first term since 2017. So Mark is here with us, with his wife, uh, Megumi, as well as his four children, Kate, Nina, Sarah, and Luca. And so at this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Mark Bocanegra to come and share with us the message entitled, The Sacrificial Offering of Senders from the Book of Philippians. So let's welcome Pastor Mark Bocanegra. First off, I always like to share, uh, say this with, to every supporting church. Um, thank you for holding the rope. Um, I, I think I've said that before. Um, my wife always makes fun of me because I always say this, say it over and over again. But um, missionary William Carey, right before he went to um, India, was talking to his fellow pastors in the Baptist Missionary Society. And before he went, he said, I will go down into the pit. Who will hold the rope for me? I'm referring to those who financially support him. I don't like to call Mission Field a pit. I like to call it a gold mine. But um, that's what I think that we've been doing. We have been um, doing missions, but we can only do that uh, through the co-suffering, uh, the co-laboring of, um, of you all. Um, I wanted to kind of, I already embarrassed Andrew Cho, the one who kind of is the liaison between us and CCSC. Um, I will show clear favoritism to Andrew because he has been faithfully sending us Christmas packages every year. Uh, I say, I don't say this like as a missionary, uh, we get a lot of offers of doing Christmas packages. We do get some of those churches do it once, maybe twice, but nobody has done it for five straight years. So my kids love Andrew, so please just encourage him because he has been holding the rope from our, our kids. So I'm very, very thankful for you all and for this church and, of course, Andrew. Let me read today's passage. It is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and then chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. Actually, I'm thankful that there's no projector today because I'll be going all over Philippians. So if you have a Bible in front of you or just a Bible app, you know, open it up and I'll, um, I'll refer you to different passages. But this is the reading of God's word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
and jumping down to chapter 4, verses 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Uh, credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the Lord of the harvest, you have spoken to us, your people. I pray, Lord, that I might not speak uh, my words, but only your words, our King. I pray, Lord, as your people, as your sons, as your bride, that we would not only hear, but believe and obey. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts uh, for your message. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So whenever we have um, folks who visit us in, in Chiba, um, there is a little story that I like to tell of my former boss. His name is Dan Iverson, who is a missionary, obviously. He, his, his story basically changed my whole view of missions. When Pastor Dan started seminary, he actually quit, Marine Corps, quit the Marine Corps and thought that he would plant a church in Virginia. And he and his wife had absolutely no desire to do missions, but he was willing to pray for missions. One day he walks into the, the chapel and a MTW recruiter is there and he's like, oh, a recruiter and sits down with not so many expectations, no special expectations. Um, he said this to me, all right? So, um, and then as he's giving the message, there's this kind of burning kind of conflict tension within him until the recruiter says one line that just totally irks him. And this is the line that really bothered me and changed my whole paradigm about missions. And he said this, if you are not willing to go, you're not qualified to stay. If you're not willing to go do missions, then you're not qualified to stay. And obviously, Pastor Dan's kind of hearing this. And how can you say that I'm not qualified to do ministry? I mean, I'm a son of a PCA pastor. I'm going to seminary. I'm thinking of, you know, giving everything to stay in and do church plan. I, you know, do church plan. How could you say that I'm not qualified? And later, he, we were having a dinner conversation about this moment. And he said, you know, the recruiter didn't say everybody is called to do missions. He did not say that. He said, everybody should be willing. Everybody should be willing to suffer and follow the Lord of the harvest, the creator of heaven and earth, and the resurrected king of kings. The issue is not about what you should do. It's, a, it's about willingness to suffer. Therefore, if you're both whether you're a missionary or a non-missionary, a goer or a sender, a ministry worker or a, a layperson, we are all called to bear the cross of Christ. 
all of us. It's not about whether you want to suffer a little bit or whether you want to suffer more, right? It's about how you want to suffer for the Lord of the harvest. Both missionaries and senders are co-sufferers in the Great Commission. And the idea destroys the whole notion that the sender is a kind of like a lower calling. But what does it mean to co-suffer? What does it mean to send? The ultimate missionary, Paul, in the early church, basically said this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17. I'm paraphrasing here, but I, although I am pouring out my life for missions by being persecuted, by being imprisoned, by being prepared to be executed for the faith, my suffering is, a mere, is merely a cheap topping, a decoration to your, the, the, the sending churches, greater and more significant sacrificial offering for the Great Commission. Missionary Paul just said his sacrifice is a mere cheap decoration to the sacrifice of the Philippian church. The Philippian church, I would say, is the ultimate sending church. And we should learn from this church. But did you hear what Paul just said? The ultimate missionary said that his sufferings was a cheap offering. It's the poor man's offering. And I hope that sentence just bothers you as it bothered me. Do we know actually what that means? Do we know why Paul thinks that way? Do we actually believe that sending missionaries is the harder, more sacrificial call? What I want to do is just to look through the entire uh, letter of Philippians and to just boil it down into three points. And the first time I did this, there was just like a lot of people who got really guilt tripped into it. So I, usually, I like to like put a disclaimer here, right? I'm going to talk about really uncomfortable things, especially in the 21st century. It's just, we're going to talk about money. But this is not to guilt trip you about how, you know, stingy you are or like I am the, 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 the chief of all sinners. I'm the stingiest person I know. But this message is to give thanks to your sacrifices of being a local church who sends missionaries. This is a prayer of thanksgiving, like the letter of Philippians. So please kind of don't come out of this feeling guilt-tripped, right? Like that, that's not what I'm trying to do. But what I will do today is kind of say certain things in a different kind of like in a, in a slanted way, maybe in a blunt way. So just maybe in a hyperbolic way, but be prepared for that. Brace for yourself. So here's the first point. Brace yourself. Missionary Paul's love language is money. Missionary Paul's love language is money. Why? Because he thought financial support is koinonia, is fellowship, the sharing of affliction. You might think I'm making fun of him or mischaracterizing Paul, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not. If you just look at verses three to five, he's just gushing with joy, not for like this abstract um, abstract concept of growth. He's gushing with joy because of the Philippian church's partnership in the gospel, as it says in verses five. But what does partnership in the gospel actually mean? We could, you know, talk about it as kind of like, oh, we're co-laboring in the Great Commission in a general sense. But you could say that it's more specific. 
Partnership is, as I said, referring to the term, you know, koinonia, you've probably heard it before, but it, the definition is a close relationship that involves sharing. A close relationship that involves sharing. It could mean a sharing of goals, a sharing of an identity. It could also mean the sharing of financial burdens. That's why sometimes business partnerships were called koinonia. Uh, the mar- mar- marital relationships were called koinonia. And I think it's really interesting when Paul refers to financial offerings in different letters, like in Romans 15, 26, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, 2 Corinthians 9, 13. The financial gift is not referred to, particularly, it's not referred to as offering, but it's referred to as fellowship. In Paul's mind, and in the mind of the early church, you fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ by sharing your money. You might be thinking, oh, like, oh that's a lot of you know, theolo- theological acrobatics. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy it. Well, you read it in verses 14 to 16. I'll just read it again. Yeah, it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into wait for it, partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Partnership with giving and receiving. It's not abstract, it's concrete, it's visible, it's earthy. The same spiritual Paul of the letter of Romans, the letter of Ephesians is the same, is, is, is practical, is pragmatic. He wants to see it. Right? His love language is money. Doesn't sound too spiritual, but it is. But why? Why is Paul so obsessed with money? It's like, oh, we don't talk, we don't talk like that, Paul, you know? But it's very clear in verses 14, and I like the NASB translation. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. To Paul, the Philippian church was like a committed business partner or a spouse that was willing to share suffering in a visible, in a clear way by sharing money, material wealth. I'm sure, you know, it's great. It was very encouraging for Paul to hear, Paul, I'm praying for you. You know, I'm so encouraged by your work for the kingdom or cheering you on. But it's another thing hear from someone and say, I'm so thankful for your work, Paul. I want to help you. Here's all of my savings. Please use it. I don't think anybody would disagree with Paul that the latter words have greater weight. Why? Because they were accompanied with sacrificial sharing. And this actually happened. He's referring to it in in Philippians 4, but we get the fuller picture in 2 Corinthians 8 where we see Paul going around Macedonia gathering funds to relieve the saints in the church of Jerusalem. And this new church plant, the Philippian church, raises their hand, but they're a church in deep poverty. And you you can imagine they're saying, here's our fellowship. And then Paul kind of kind of smiles, oh, that's cute. You know, it's like, you, you guys can't even pay for the electricity bill, right? Let's just keep it. And then Paul later says in 2 Corinthians 8, with much urging, they beg to give. 
They literally begged to give. I imagine them saying, you know, Apostle Paul, like, <laughs> why won't you let us give? Take our money. Take our money. Is it, is it too low for you? You're the one who taught us to trust in God's provision, and that's what we're doing. Why are you taking away our privilege to offer something to the Lord and to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ? And Paul concludes his description of this and says, according to their means, but beyond their means, they gave. For in a severe test of affliction, not the affliction of Paul, their affliction, their, affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You can say that Paul wasn't concerned about the money. He was concerned about whether his brothers and sisters in Christ wanted to share his burden. And I can say very clearly, as I mentioned in the very beginning, that this church and all the churches have finan who have financially supported us all these years have shared my burden and the burden of Kaihi Makari Grace Church. Every term that I come back, there's always a story of suffering in the midst of those terms, but they never, and many churches never, ever stop. And these are just churches I'm talking about. There are just countless unnamed individuals who have given sacrificially despite their difficult circumstances. The brother who never skipped a month despite having been laid off. The sister who gave monthly despite having to support her family while waiting for her husband to be released from prison. The brother who continued to give faithfully even though he was battling severe depression. The sister who chose to give more after even a painful biblical divorce. The countless individuals who gave above their means but with abundant joy bring so much joy to us in Kahimakari Grace Church. You held the rope as in a very tangible way as we grieved the loss of our founding pastor, trained up a new PCJ pastor who will be ordained in November. We've endured many pastoral issues. We have welcomed many new people new brothers and sisters in Christ, but all of this, and we're actually looking, we're, over, we're, we're outgrowing our space, and all of this was because you have been holding the rope for us. So thank you. Second point, second point. Again, I'm gonna make it blunt, right? Missionary Paul calls the church to generosity, not for his salary, but to harvest fruits of righteousness. Paul is not fundraising for his salary, but to harvest fruits of righteousness. The irony is that although Paul is calling all of us to generosity, to money, and that his love language is money, you know, he actually doesn't care about money. If you look at chapter four, verses 11 to 13, I'm just gonna read it for you. And it's just mind boggling how much he doesn't care. Um, I'll, I'll read it to you. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of play, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He didn't want the money. He didn't need the money. But why did he encourage giving? 
Chapter 4, verses 17. Very simple. Not that I seek the gift, the money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The only reference to fruit in the letter of Philippians is in chapter 1, verses 11. And he's praying that the church would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The reason why he wanted the Philippian church to give was for their love for the Lord would abound more and more. Paul wanted the Philippian church, a branch of the, you know, of the true vine, to be fruitful, to be abundant, to be luscious, and to produce large not just small, large fruits of righteousness. So we see at the end of this letter, these were not abstract spiritual fruits in the immaterial sense. These invisible fruits were actually concrete, earthy, and visible fruits of financial and material generosity. And Paul knew that the church would give. But it's really interesting. I've, you know, I, fund, I fundraise a lot. And I'm just like, Paul, why are you so confident that they're going to give more? And it's very, two simple reasons. Verses, chapter one, verse six. That he who began the good work of creating a generous church like the Philippian church and CCCSC will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's reason one. Reason two, the one who bankrolls this giving is not the church. It's the supplier of the seed, as Paul would say. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The investor in this project called uh, generosity is all in. But as I, as I hear myself say all of this, as a fellow missionary, as a fellow past, uh, fellow fundraiser, I'm kind of like, I want to like tell Paul, Paul, just be quiet. That's so brazen, so awkward. You're making everybody feel uncomfortable. You don't do that. You want to make them feel, you know, comfortable giving. And isn't just a bit inappropriate for you to talk like that? You know, you have some humility, you know? But I think Paul's comment in chapter 4, verses 18, really just humbled me and exposed my seeming humility as actual just pure arrogance. I'll just read chapter 4, verses 18 for you. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Listen to this. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Although Paul received and directly benefited from the gift, Paul understood that they were not giving to Paul. In fact, to think that way was incredibly arrogant. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they were offering, we call it an offering because it's an act of worship to the Lord of the harvest, to the King of Kings. And of course, any offering, as we call it, requires sacrifice. If you look at, you know, the Old Testament, offerings were literally taking livestock and and killing it and sacrificing it and burning it in front of the altar. 
And that is why when Paul says in chapter, and, and in the Old Testament, there were tiers. There's the, you know, the, the lower tier, the mid tier, and the high tier. And what Paul says in chapter 12, uh, chapter 2, verses 17, he says this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Essentially, this is what Paul is saying. To give to advancement, to give to in order to advance the kingdom of God requires a greater sacrifice and there's no benefit to you. That's why it's a higher tier. But when missionary Paul looks at his own persecution, his own imprisonment, his own execution, he's saying my tear is the poor man's drink offering, the decorative offering that is poured upon the better, the, the more significant, the more pleasing offering. My friends, I like to, like to say here where have you ever heard a pastor who said, I want, I want your worship, but I want you to put a cap on it 10% of your time. Worship only 10% of your time. No, you want as much worship as you can get. In the same way, Paul is saying, I want as much fruits of righteousness. For your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you want to bear more fruit? as the bride of Christ? If so, the most practical and visible way you can worship in that way is to give to your local church. And the other way is to give to missions. But what's more important is probably the fear that comes after that, right? It's like, oh, I have to give. Oh. <laughs> and you look at your, but this is what Paul says at the very end of, verse, of, of the, Philippi, uh, the letter to the Philippians. Our God will supply every need of yours according to, to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I like what Paul said, uh, what Jesus said when he commanded the church to give, fear not little flock, don't worry, just give. <laughs> but I, as I confessed in the, in the first service, I'm the, I'm the stingiest person I know. So this is always like a, like I feel like a hypocrite, like preaching through this message. And but we always have to remember why the Philippian church gave. And this is the last point. The Philippian church gave because they looked at the ultimate sender, the Lord of the harvest, and saw how much he suffered and gave. The reason why the Philippian church gave so generously, the reason why Paul suffered so much, because they knew that Jesus Christ, the Lord of the harvest, was the ultimate sender and that he suffered the most. And we have to always remember whenever we talk about, oh, the Lord of the harvest supplies, the Lord of the harvest supplies, it cost him a lot to do that. He suffered so much to send us out. When Jesus sends out the disciples to accomplish the great commission, what does he say? Guys, I'm praying for you. I love your work. You know, I'm be praying for you. I'll be interceding for you in the heavens. Does he do that? No. He sent down the Holy Spirit and Pentecost to enter into the deepest communion, the deepest relationship, the deepest koinonia that you could ever possibly imagine. He shared literally everything with you. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, Jesus counted you and me more significant than himself.
Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And as a result, he chose to empty himself by taking the form of the servant. And by doing that, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that, Christ co-suffered with the church in the sense that he shared literally everything. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. In effect, Jesus Christ looks at his bride, the church, and says, how much debt do you have? How much? Show it to me, all of it. Don't worry about it. I'll pay for everything. Not only that, he says, how much do you need to get into heaven? So minus 100 to zero, how much do you need to get into heaven? That much? I've paid it, all of it, all of my righteous, righteousness to you. And when you get into heaven, I like to say, you know, when you get into heaven, it's like, yes, I got into the stadium. I have the bleacher seats, right? It's like, no, 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 don't. Jesus is not that stingy. When Jesus says, here, come to the VIP room because now you're a co-owner with me. You own the whole stadium. Jesus' love language is also money. And when he loved and gave everything, he gave his entire inheritance in the most concrete and visible way. I want you to remember that. However, when Jesus gave to the church, he didn't just give as you know, an act of, merely an act of generosity. He gave it as the greatest act of worship. There is nothing higher than the life of the son of God, nothing perfect, more perfect than the perfect life of the righteous man. And when he gave, there was no benefit to himself. He gave because he loved the father and loved his bride, the church. And you could say, our work suffering as the sent church is only the poor man's drink offering that decorates the greater and costlier sacrifice of the sender of the Lord of the harvest. In this way, I want you to remember this, that your greatest piece of wealth is not your time. It is not your money. It is not your assets. It's not even the spiritual benefits that you receive in heaven. Our greatest piece of wealth is your koinonia, your fellowship, your intimate communion with the Son of God. And this is why Paul says this in chapter 3 of Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I count I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ. Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, the bride of Christ, let us give generously, sacrificially, and joyously with Paul and the Philippian church, knowing we have it all in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful reminder through the letter of Philippians, that the greatest thing that we have is our communion with you. The Lord of the harvest gives everything, empties himself so that we might be, might be rich in you. I pray, Lord, that his generosity 
would compel us to love our brothers and sisters and love God through our material and financial acts of giving. We thank you. In his name we pray. Amen.